0: Hello and welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. Bit of housekeeping to start off with this week. We're obviously coming up to Christmas, but we will bring you a podcast next week. It might not be out out on Wednesday like it normally is. Could be a little bit later in the week, but it will be in between those Christmas derbies and the round of URC games on New Year's Day. So keep an eye out for that. A slightly different show today, just Bernard Jackman with me at the moment to run through the big talking points of the week. The biggest one being a six-foot-nine second row, and we'll get to that momentarily. But in part two of today's podcast, stay tuned because we have an interview with Caelan Dorris. I spoke to the Ireland and Leinster number 8 yesterday about his new contract with the IRFU. It's a good 20-minute chat with him about his his plans for the future, working with Jack Nienaber over the last few weeks, and uh, how he's dealt with the ups and downs of a busy year in Irish rugby. Unfortunately, in that there is no RG Snyman conversation, in that... I recorded it yesterday morning, um, a few hours before that news became official, but it is still well worth a listen and it'll be up in part two of this podcast. Birch, I mentioned Orgy Snyman just there, no better place to start confirmed by Leinster yesterday. He'll join from Munster on what we understand is just going to be a one year contract. Interesting. Interestingly as well, there are going to be some stipulations or clauses around how much they can play him. Um, I might bring you back the whole way to, to last Thursday evening though when uh Jerry Thornley's scoop in the Irish Times first landed on Twitter. Can you remember what your reaction was when you saw that pop up on your phone?
1: I was surprised, but actually happy, to be honest. Happy yeah. seeing or Irish rugby. Um happy that one of the provinces have been able to secure him. I'm I'm in favour of it, and that's not with my Leinster ex-player hat on. I, I genuinely think he is one of the best players in the world. Um, and I know Munster have been so so unlucky in terms of the amount he's been played for him. But I think back to that final in uh, in Cape Town. I think he had moments in that game which helped Munster lift that trophy. Um, he'll have moments when he comes back from this injury where he's going to make Munster hard as a beast. And now, I you can start to look forward to potentially him being part of a Leinster team where, they need. Someone of his quality that he's part of their their squad. Restrictions around how often he plays, um, because they have the bodies to, um, to get the job done. You know, most of the year, but I, I think obviously you haven't looked at the last two finals against La Rochelle, um, the final they lost against Arison's, um, uh, the semi-final loss against La Rochelle You just feel, you know, there there may be one one or I'd admit possibly two world-class players away from um being able to, to get over the line. And I, I fully support the IRFU allowing the provinces, you know, go out and sign players of his quality. Obviously there's risks with his injury profile, but I think he's so good and he's so different when he's fit that it's it's a risk worth having. When you've lots of money like Leinster do and you've lots of other players um who can who can cover. So like that's like if Jason Jenkins hasn't turned out to be the player that Leinster hoped he would be. Let's be honest. Um, now Joe, Joe McCarthy's obviously is kind of given Leinster that, or, or Leinster certainly think he will give them that. So, um, but Slyman, no one, there's no one in the pathway the same as Slyman. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I I think it's a. I was surprised, but because it came from left field, um, but I think it's a good move.
0: Yeah, it is. As you said, there's there's a balancing act. Just from Leinster's point of view, we'll talk about the Munster implications in a minute mm. or so. But but from Leinster's side of things, the way they're looking at it, as you say, there's there's a big risk and there's a big reward as well. Yeah. And ultimately, if you look at the fact that it's a, it's just going to be a one year contract. There's, you know, a reported figure of about half a million euro being being put out there as well. It's a huge amount to, to take a gamble on. But I suppose then from from the other point of view, you could kind of say, okay, well, well, Leinster could spend a lot less money on a player who's who doesn't have that injury profile and you, who you can almost guarantee is going to be available for twenty plus matches in a season. But ultimately, is that player going to get you over the line when you need it yeah. in a Champions Cup final? And that's the that's the thing Leinster need to balance, and that's the risk they need to take, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and I think it's I, I think it's good to see them taking the risk. To be honest, I think they have played it safe. Maybe too safe in the last four or five years in terms of their non-Irish qualified players signings. Um, and I think I think this is a bold a bold move, but it's also it's a reaction to not getting over the line. I mean, how frustrating must it be for for the Leicester squad to to be probably the most consistent team in Europe, play some of the best rugby, you know, from whatever September to April, and then not have anything significant to show for it. And and you do feel I certainly feel Snyman can help them get over the line. And now look at they may end up getting over the line this year w- without him, but I mm. certainly think it it adds to their their just to be just on the record, like I was in favour of Munster signing Sliman um after his injury problems. I, I felt I felt that it was only right that they, they basically doubled down and, and they did. Um and also I, I'm not really I'm not I don't think it's fair really that they have to choose between John Klein and uh, and um and Simon. so I have sympathy for Munster mm-hmm. from that point of view. Um, I think it was an unfortunate set of circumstances that led to, to Munster having two non Irish qualified locks. Um, obviously, John Klein not getting picked for Ireland for um, a period of time, and then going to South Africa. That wasn't really Munster's fault. Um, and yeah, uh, in some ways, I, I, I my, I, I, I have, I have sympathy for Munster. I I think potentially if he's been allowed to stay in Ireland, he potentially would be allowed to stay in Munster. But once that decision was made, um, and he's he's going to leave Munster, well, then I have no issue with him going going to Leinster or Connacht or Ulster if that had been the case.
0: Yeah, and the the added wrinkle in on top of that to to just kind of add to the the frustrations of Munster is as you were saying, you know, they they were put in that unenviable unenviable position of having to to choose between the two, um, a problem not from their own making and. It's just funny when you think about it that it's ultimately Leinster's future coach who who gives yeah. John Klein that cap in the first place as well. I mean, there's just there's frustration no. around every corner. No,
1: there is. It's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal for Munster. Uh, look, I, I, I potentially like potentially Munster mightn't have been able to afford the Slime anyway. You know, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Whereas obviously Leinster can't afford him. Um but it's just yeah the the way it all worked out is and now Nina Bar obviously being at Leinster, um yeah it's ironic isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a funny one. And I'll I'll move it on now to to and Doris because, like, I I think it's probably it has sparked a bit of discussion around the the way central contracts have gone, and I know it's probably oversimplistic. To draw lines between Caelan and Doris getting bumped up to a central contract with the i r f u and Leinster having the money to bring in a player like gorgie Snyman, but when you see those two things happening within the space of twenty four hours, it's hard not if you're a fan of one of the other three provinces, it's hard not to draw lines between those two
1: no absolutely it's um uh, but I don't think I think Ka and Doris deserves to be a central contract contract, yeah, exactly yeah. Um, I suppose Leinster's argument would be that they, they, the, the model is very simple. So, uh, um, it's not very simple, but the model is 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 kind of black and white in that, um, if you can create enough centrally contracted players, you benefit from that. Um, by by obviously easing. That. The other side of that is, obviously, they lose the most players for World Cups and Six Nations, and they can have an effect on the squad, but if I don't get a coach out there, who wouldn't prefer to have a bag full of internationals um, and have the hassle of having to manage that. Um, but I think for Munster now, at least when I look at the Munster team, and you see the likes of Ahern, the Dog Hardness, uh, Hodnes, uh, Jack Crowley, etc., um, they have to hope that they can become centrally contracted players in the next couple of years, and and that that I suppose power shift starts to uh, move slightly but at the moment it's very lopsided towards leinster now leinster would claim that they developed those players but there is obviously a, there's a there's a, it's not it's not a fair playing field really because mm-hmm. of the population bias the public or the private schools etc so yeah i i can understand why that needs that, that would be looked at by fans at the moment but I, I do think as long as the best players are getting the central contracts Um, I think that's that has to be a carrot to the other provinces to try to continue to try and find players of that quality so that they can benefit from it in the long run.
0: Let's um let's go back to the actual rugby itself then, um, because there's plenty to get through from the Champions Cup and looking ahead to, to Interpros over the next uh over the next week or so. We'll start on Munster because uh, god help us, they gave us a lot to talk about on Sunday, uh, away to Exeter. Nine points up at halftime, 11 points up with just under 20 minutes to play. Bonus points secured at that stage, and in the end, they only left with that uh, with that four try bonus point. How did that happen?
1: Okay, it was, it was very weird. I think they were unlucky with the Jack Dunn try, and you could say they were unlucky with the second with the with the last try, the, the Slade try. Um, potentially should have been called back for offside, not. Slade, I think the, 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 the retreat lazy runners. Today's runners were, yeah. were a tricky one. But he never seemed to I never really seemed to enter the uh the conversation with the with the TMO and I know Ty Byrne was trying to um get that point across, but but that stage it was too late. Um yeah, it's a weird collapse. I mean second half against Bayonne was, was pretty pretty poor as well. Now in Fairness they did finish in their in their twenty two or outside of twenty two. Um, but yeah, it just looked, just stopped playing. Like the, some of the rugby they were playing in the first half was, was exceptional. You know, really smart how to get around that blitz, the Omar blitz that Exeter use. Um, and obviously getting the four point four try bonus, you just talked Munster can cruise here. And in the fairness Exeter brought on, you know, had a good impact off the bench, and and they upped it. But um, uh, yeah, it was and like the two tries, they're not defensive errors, really. You know, like the the last two tries. Um, you can question the back bounce, So, um, yeah, I think for entry, the problem for entry is he got a reaction, you know. So there was a reaction there from Bayon, um, and they came out of the blocks pretty, pretty, the sharp. Uh, intensity was good, and yet they only finished with another point, and out of what three points out of, out of the first two games, and when you look at that Bayon match, like obviously Bayon went and lost to Glasgow at home. Um, that form isn't isn't good, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's definitely, I'd say it's a three point drop in that game, other than a two point. That should mean a five pointer for them. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a poor start given they went into it. I thought we the Champions Cup in a good place, you know, good performance yeah. away to Leinster, big performance against Glasgow, and now now they they will qualify, but they're looking at a, obviously a a, a low seeding.
0: Yeah, and it's like. Is it oversimplistic in that last twenty minutes to to talk about the power and how Exeter just stepped it up to a different level in those last twenty minutes where Munster spent just under an hour, we'll say, picking the lock and picking it really, really well and getting a lot of getting a lot of ground off it, but then Exeter in the last quarter of the game just blew the door off the hinges and said.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like and that's a young Exeter team, really, you know, it's a rebuild. Um, by Rob Baxter, I think they're ahead of where they probably thought they would be. And that's just, that's a worrying thing for from um from Ulster's an point of view that they just couldn't, they just couldn't handle that that extra power when it when it came. And it's, it's kind of feature a little bit of, of the Irish teams. I know Ulster had a good performance, but um, yeah, it's a little bit worrying. Is it, it's, it's a little bit worrying in terms of our ability to to put together like really strong 80s um since since the world cup it, it, it's been to be some really good patches but it's also been it's been quite mixed as well at times
0: uh, we'll talk about the positives as well because you kind of alluded to, to it at the start where the attack for you know three quarters of the game more or less was really really good and so much different to to last week like i remember this day last week we were talking on the podcast about how against bayon when the main When the main attacking strategy didn't work, they didn't have a plan B. Mm. They 100% had that on Sunday. And they had a plan C at times as well, Mm. where if they weren't, if their quick passing wasn't working, you could see Jack Crowley and Antoine Frisch were just dropping a couple of attacking kicks over towards the touchline. You know, uh, that's how Tom Ahern's try came about. But they were just, you know, kicking game was really good. They were threatening Exeter in a lot of different ways. And if they can just, you know if they had if they had seen out that game i was doing the live blog for it on on rt on sunday afternoon and as you're hitting the 68 minute you're saying this is this was by a mile the best monster had played all season now unfortunately games are 80 minutes not 60
1: yeah and that, look, I, I, I think you saw graymar's frustration afterwards um just it must've been just so weird for him seeing the team just kind of collapse and uh, collapse a bit harsh because actually Connor gets that. Connor, I think Connor's playing for a penalty there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have fancied Munster to kick. I lo- I
0: looked there. back in it, and the when you look at the pass, it yeah. looked a good bit ahead of who was it outside. I, I can't remember what back it was outside. Might we'll yeah. say it's Crowley for example. But it it looked it looked closer to that Exeter defensive line than it did towards towards his hands. Like it yeah. probably was playing for the penalty.
1: It's playing for a penalty, and and like. If he gets the penalty, it's unbelievably smart. That's the experience you're bringing off the bench to, to to guide you through that. And and I wouldn't have backed against Munster not going down, and actually getting the score. To be honest, um, if but obviously the the way it, the way it uh, played out with Slade going, going fifty meters and obviously, um, taking away the the losing bonus from Munster was was cruel. But yeah, uh there's enough there that, that they can still build on. You know what I mean. And also this team, they kind of went through a really rough patch last year to start the season. And it didn't didn't bother them. It didn't affect them. They they just got themselves sorted out. Um, they will get the likes of Klein back and and um Peter Manny back and, Simon hopefully get back after Christmas and they will give them a boost. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't write Munster off. They're like they are a dangerous side. Um, but they be just deeply frustrated with how they've started this block in the Champions Cup.
0: Yeah, and I think you can't really ignore as well uh the fact the the injury list is very Ooh, big at the JJ. moment. There were two players on the bench there, Brian Leeson and Ben O'Connor. Excellent prospects, but at the same time, it's a champions cup game, and there are two guys that are going to be playing under twenties for Ireland yeah. in the in the Six Nations in the spring. So it the context has to be to be put into that. The last point yeah. on, on Munster I want to mention as well, though, is Tom O'Harn, because that's that just Tom Hearn playing in the back row just continues to continues to work. They're using him so much out wide when they're in attack. And I was saying on Sunday, it's one of those things where you never actually thought about it as an option, but it's only when you saw it happen in the flesh you realise how on earth did we not realise this twelve months ago? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I don't know if he's been playing. Uh, I I don't know if he's been playing any 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 rugby up till now at at six, but. No, he That's hadn't really we awesome. we spoke sorry sorry to interrupt but we spoke to him after the the Munster and Glasgow game,
0: and he mm. said it was just the week of that Leinster match it was um yeah. it was mentioned to him he hadn't done much in the back row at all obviously like he he played as a fullback I think up until he was like under seventeen or eighteen so he obviously has that athletic yeah. ability and knows how to play out wide and stuff like that but the the back row thing it just came out he's, of the blue
1: he's an exciting prospect at six, yeah he's an exciting prospect at six um like. He's being very impressive uh obviously he gives you that line of option but he's just an athlete but also he's aggressive he's aggressive as well and he's he's getting under people's skin um and the level he's got to quite quickly um is yeah it it, it, it would lead you to believe that there's actually way more there you know mm. so and also the way he wants to play you know with with flankers uh, uh holding weight on the edge he is suited to that like he's very very dynamic in those areas and obviously for crossfield kicks he has the height advantage as well, so um, yeah, it's it's going to be one to watch. I mean, um, it's like Pete gets back. I think Pete will be back for the Six Nations, but what Farrell is going to do there long term, um, and who steps up? I thought Baird was unbelievably good against LaRochelle, a bit quieter um, against Sale, but uh, Thomas Ahern is, is you'd, I, you'd be shocked if he wasn't in that big squad when it's picked
0: yeah and I thought it was really interesting actually the fact that despite the fact that Munster have a bit of a second row shortage injuries wise at the moment, it was Gavin Coombs who started in started in the in the row at the weekend and they kept to Hearn out at six. This is obviously something that it's not just a trial they fancy doing this long term potentially as well
1: yeah and and why not Jesus like he's you want him in the team at the moment mm-hmm. don't you and and when all the locks are back, he may not. You know, get into that um uh into that second row. But if he can get game time at six and be a weapon for them there, um I'm sure I'm sure they'll continue to try and to, to try and find his his pop potential really.
0: I'll bring in Leinster now. Um thirty-seven twenty-seven winners against Sale. Funny old game at the RDS on Saturday. But as I said, I'm talking to Kellen Darris a little bit later on and he mentioned we were talking about Jack Neenaber and he mentioned how He hasn't just come in and tried to tweak a couple of little things here and there. How pretty much on day one, Nina arrived in and had new ideas and wanted to make big changes in season, which is quite interesting. And I think, Bert, you can you can probably see it at times in the way they're playing at the moment. Like Doris spoke, for example, about how line speed is the big thing he's he's really focusing in on with Leinster. And you can probably see they got cut out with it for that first sale try, where yeah. Sale and them worked that lovely little kick into just chipped it into the backfield, and uh, it was um, Robert Dupree catching onto it and and putting Connor Doherty in for the for the opening try. So they're probably ironing out a few creases at the moment, but all in all, it's going quite well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think it's great to see them just getting stuck into it now. I mean, yeah. and, and like. Um it hasn't affected them. They've 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 been they're unbeaten since that first game against Glasgow, which was you know during the war and think that they will continue to be able to win most of their games while adapting and learning. Um and yeah, and also I I, I know it's probably gonna affect their attacking game a little bit and some people like they're not gonna stop doing attack and at training, whatever, but mm-hmm. you have to understand that it's only natural to give Jack a little bit more time, um, to to get his ideas in place because he missed um preseason. He missed last season when Andrew Goodman had a chance to to build it. So I think there'll be a little bit of, and and we saw it in the first half where they just weren't all on the same page from an attacking point of view. Because I think Leinster have been a team who've been very attack focused. You know their mindset has, has been always more around what we do with the ball, um, and now I think you're going to see. Like I was watching the warm up you know, lots of players coming up to Nina Bar just clarifying exactly what he wants. So in their mind as well, they're gonna be thinking, Look at, you know, new coach, you've got to impress him. So defence is gonna be a big part of that. And then as I said, as you said, he's obviously tweaking a few things. Um and you're probably gonna get exposed a little bit in the backfield with little chips like that until everybody is a hundred percent sure of how to manage that. Um, which is fine. Obviously they, they turned on the the power in the in the, in the third quarter and, and negated that um that try for for sale and, and got the game under control but um yeah I I think I want to see that I want to see them being exposed as well to a certain extent so they can fix it um uh, and I think Nina Bar understands that and Leo understands it and they'll just they'll just crack on with it.
0: On the the attack side of things, um obviously it wasn't a perfect game. First half was a bit sloppy in places, but. I thought what was just so impressive was at the start of that second half, it was just like it was just vintage Leinster, where Leinster are kicking off, Ryan Baird runs up, gets, a, gets ahead of the ball, manages to flick it back on his side, and two minutes and 54 seconds of unbroken possession. I think it's around 22, 23 phases. Sale did not touch the ball for those opening three minutes of the half, and it finishes with uh, eventually. Like, Sale defended it quite well, to be totally honest. There was a, a good bit of back and forth across the pitch from Leinster. But eventually, they just got worn down. There's a slip. Vander Fleer breaks through, puts Gibson Park in for a try. And, and from there, they never really looked back.
1: Yeah, in fairness, and that's what they do. And uh, when they do that, not many people can, teams can live with them. Um, And I thought, yeah, I, I thought they came out of, the, they obviously got that try just before time for yeah. Vander Fleer. We just settle them, and then obviously they came out and just for twenty minutes, it was only one team minutes, and put the, put the game to, to bed, and did it kind of, which just real force, um, and playing really pragmatic direct pragmatic direct rugby, and Sale who had looked just handle that just just couldn't stop them on the game line. Some of their big carriers were uh, were very effective, and even that side, off the bench was giving them a little bit of punch, and yeah, it was. It was clinical, to be fair, and then obviously they had a little bit of a blip at the end again when, um, that, well, at first they put thirteen men for the last try, but they got exposed a couple of times, um, late in the game when the game was put to bed. So still plenty to work on, but um, I thought Tom McCarthy was impressive again when he, the minutes he got, um, you know, Doris Porter Sheen was excellent. So, um, yeah, well, look, 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 look. Leinster, Leinster aren't playing brilliantly, but. They're ticking along nicely as well. And I think there there's elements of their game getting exposed that they'll they'll fix, which was which is even, which is more important for them than free freestyling and freewheeling into fifty point wins.
0: Last point on Leinster and Munster, obviously playing on Saint Stephen's Day. Um Just your general thoughts on it, because I I find it is hard to actually talk about it at this point in the week where we really don't know what sort of a team Leinster are going to be sending down. You imagine there's going to be some bit of a rotation with internationals over Christmas given the load players had in the World Cup as well, so difficult to really talk about the actual match itself at this point in the week.
1: Yeah, unfortunately I'd love to have the two teams now, wouldn't you? And Just just get excited about it. The rumour is Leinster are going to go reasonably strong, but I mean, what does that mean? You know, um, in terms reasonably of
0: the, strong. Yeah, reasonably strong for Leinster is probably still leaving. Still out str- yeah, seven or eight a, players.
1: Yeah, so. he, yeah. Is it the same <laughs> team that he said to Connacht, which you know wasn't it was a second string, but yeah, it was still good. You know, um, so that's that's the challenge. I'd love to see, like, a full full strength, uh, Leinster play a full strength monster in Tolmand and give the give the fans, you know, value for money. Um, and I still hope it will be. At least a sixty seventy percent, um, str- full strength Leinster team, um, sixty percent uh, of the of the of the best team. So, yeah, let's wait and see. But a big one for Munster now. Um, like they they came to Viva and put it up to Leinster, but on the back of what's happened in the last two weeks, um, they probably need a a, a win more more so than um, than Leicester do.
0: Yeah. I d more so just for the spectacle itself yeah. and the occasion. I'm really looking forward to being down there in the twenty-sixth. Like I'm from Limerick. I always I I always enjoy working that match around Christmas, but I do have to say, like last year's game between the two of them, it felt like it felt like the best atmosphere and the best buzz around the Monster Leinster fixture that I could remember for a good few years around Limerick. Uh I remember getting down to Thomond Park about two and a half hours before the match and there were tons of people already around the place having a few pints having a burger or whatever and it just felt very, very different to even a big Champions Cup game and I just hope that with that rivalry we can kind of keep it at that level or even grow it a bit further again. Um, on to Ulster, 31-15 against Racing 92. burst their best performance of the season and best result of the season, bang on when they needed it.
1: Yeah, brilliant, to be fair. I think um, Ulster fans, Ulster, Ulster management would be so happy because... They needed to 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 show a little bit, and they did. They got it in spades, and uh, uh, hopefully that's the kind of the turning the, the turning point for them for the, for this season. And, and look, they haven't. They probably feel that the criticism has been a little bit over the top, but um, because the results haven't been brutal, but um, they just hadn't had a performance where you went right. They're in a really good place. Um, they're going to do something this season, and I thought there was lots of elements of that. You know Stockdale Hume, um, you know I thought Kitchoff was really really good as best performance for him so far, um, they just hassle Harried Rassing, um, and yeah, uh, took advantage of of opportunities that got into twenty two, we're we're pretty clinical and it was a really really good performance. Now Rassing, you know Rassing had lost a week before to Bath, not to Bath to Harlequins and then Harlequins got smashed by Toulouse, so. Maybe they're not the the force this year in in Europe that they have been over the last couple of years, but um, it's still a very very good win for Ulster and something I think they'll take a lot of confidence out of and and obviously now they've got Connacht um on uh over or Connacht, uh, at the weekend, um, which should be winnable and 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 they can come down to Dublin on uh, New Year's Day in a really good place I think. Yeah, and it's important for them to back it up against Connacht as well.
0: Just, quickly staying on ultra little. What I really, really enjoyed was just a bit of innovation around like the five meter penalties, mm. where they were changing things up. I know Dan McFarland spoke after the game about how they were having these little laboratories out on the pitch where they were like the mad scientists try, you know, trial and error on a few different variations of of the five meter moves. They had that one where basically they just set up them all in field and shoved their way over. They had that one where John Cooney just popped it up into Nick Timoney's hands rather than having someone bending down to tap the ball with their Ooh. foot. And um, it was just... One thing I've loved in rugby in the last four or five years is just how this five-meter tap-and-go has just come back into the, the rugby lexicon, almost. Where yeah. Go back to... I can't remember exactly what year, but say 2016, 17. You could go an entire season and not see one team try a five-meter tap-and-go move. Ooh. And I yeah. just love how it reached a point where everyone started doing it and now you have everyone trying to figure out little variations and little innovations on it. And it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It's great and um, it was it was really interesting to hear McFarland talk about how they spent Henderson. Henderson came up with it first, but um, there there's some nice variations of it uh, uh, and all the Irish provinces are, are doing it. The, the, the first one that I remember in, it was the Bulls doing it against Leinster in the in the RDS, and in they the actually beat yeah. them in the semi final. And then since then, I think nearly every team has a trick play in their in their repertoire, and and um, it's great to see them evolving. And um, they are a weapon now. Look at uh, the the risk is obviously if you get held up, um, it's a it's a goal line dropout. So teams are very careful when they really go for that um that final push and shove and, and but if you can get momentum on your first or second carry with, with a little bit of trickery, um it could do the job for you. So no, it was good. And I think it obviously gave Ulster confidence as well that they had something new to bring to the party and then obviously when it works, uh it's uh it's even better.
0: Um finally then just quickly on Connacht Um we'll talk about them a bit more next week after the after they play Ulster and ahead of their game against Munster but Fifty-five thirty-five away to Sar away to Saracens on Saturday. It's two heavy defeats in a row. Um the game against Saracens, though, it felt very different to the game against Bordeaux, where against Bordeaux the heads dropped and mm. they looked a beaten docket from well early out. Even against Saracens, when the result of the game was probably out of question. There was a bit of promise and it was encouraging to see them just keep going and just Get something to take out of the game, like that four try bonus point, where you know, obviously the game had been well beaten. Saracens clearly were a much better team, but I think I don't know. Maybe I am. Am I being a little bit too simplistic? It, was it important for them just to to get something from that game, to something tangible to take away and bring back into a? No, it was, it was
1: No, no, it was, it was so important for them. And I agree with you. I thought, like from a tacky point of view, obviously they. They hurt Saracens um, a few times, and that will certainly give them um, a bit of hope and belief. The problem for me is just shipping fifty. Yeah. Um, that can be, you know, it depends on how they frame that in their own minds, and obviously, like you would have thought, okay, we're going to Saracens. You know, we also need to show a little bit more steel defensively, um, because that was obviously a very we- a weakness against Bordeaux when they shipped forty odd. Uh, it's second
0: time this season as well
1: 50 with the Bulls as well yeah you know what I mean that's just not a good place to. it's not a good habit to get into Um, and I think Fardy obviously will be that's his side of the uh, of the the business so he'll be a little bit worried about that Um, yeah I I think they got enough out of it to basically be able to get some hope and confidence for for this week but it wasn't um, they're still on a How they pitch up and maybe them,
0: yeah. And it does set things up nicely between those two results at the weekend for a derby that means a lot this weekend, where both teams, okay, Ulster got back on track with that win against Racing, but in terms of URC, both sides are on a little bit of a of a bad run at the moment, and whoever loses this weekend is is going to be feeling in a tough spot because either Connacht lose and they're bringing Munster to the sports ground next week, or Ulster lose. And they're bringing or they're heading to the RDS to take on Leinster. Not
1: a place you want to be. No, absolutely not. No, this is a this is a massive game. Um, but on form, can, like well, based on last week's form, Ulster should have you know serious confidence that they're, they'll they'll get a win. And I think it's really important for Ulster to back it up. You know, back it up. Uh, that win because I said they haven't been consistent. Um, and I think the Ravenhill faithful will will be behind them. Um, you know they they'll be gutted how they lost the return fixture in the sports ground. Having been in a, uh, you know, very dominant position, so uh, I can't see Ulster Ulster slipping up here. And I think Connacht the ones are going to be under a little bit of pressure to to stay in the top eight by and having to beat Munster, um, or in in the in the second fixture over Christmas.
0: Right, but well, we look forward to see it happen. That is Ulster hosting Connacht on Friday night, 7.35 kick-off at Kingspan Stadium. Live commentary on RT Radio 1 Extra on Friday night. And then Munster hosting Leinster is on St. Stephen's Day. Live coverage on RT2 and RT Player from 7 o'clock and coverage on the radio as well on RT Radio 1. Birch, have a great Christmas if we don't see you between now and next week. Well, and uh, I'm day. sure I'll catch you at Tome and Park. You will. Let's take so, you. Bye-bye. Coming up next, Caelan Darris, folks. Speaking to us now is Ireland and Leinster backer Kaelin Doris. He's been unveiled as an ambassador for JFW Renewables, one of Ireland's leading solar energy companies, specialising in the installation of solar PV panels in homes, businesses, and farms across the country. You can get in touch for a free, no obligation consultation. Just visit d- JFW Renewables dot ie. Caelan, thanks a million for joining us on the RT Rugby Podcast and, and first up, congratulations on the new contract. Uh, the news arrived earlier this week, a three-year deal up to, to 2027. A nice one for yourself to get. I imagine though, friends and family probably even happier. It's going to mean there's a bit of expectation on you to deliver some pretty big Christmas presents now.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me first of all. And uh, yeah, no, it's a good time and Nice little early Christmas present for me, but as you say, the expectations have definitely gone up. So, um, yeah, we'll see what we can do there. I'm delighted to stay on for another three years plus, um, two special environments that I've, I love being a part of over the last few years. And, um, yeah, we have got great quality in players and in, uh, in staff and coaches leading us in the right way. So, um, yeah, looking forward to being here for another while, thankfully.
0: Yeah. Great stuff. And, um, Obviously it's a deal that's done and dusted nice and nice and early in the season. That would lead me to thinking it was a fairly straightforward process. There weren't any hiccups along the way. It was a deal you were you were happy to get over the line, I imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've been kind of it'd been in the works for a little while, but um yeah, good to have it over the line, heading into the new year, as you say. And uh yeah, no, it's been it's been great playing for Ireland and playing for Leicester over the last while and um, it was a pretty straightforward decision, really. Um, like I mentioned, there, there's so much quality and two very satisfying environments to be a part of, and I think someone at my stage of their career, it's uh, it's a perfect place to be, and it's a good place to grow and continue to improve as a player and pick up knowledge and experience and wisdom from everyone around me. So, um, now I'm excited to continue it,
0: and like the fact as well, it's a central contract with the IRFU. It's it must be um. It must put a lot of things in perspective for yourself and give yourself a nice little reality check of and confidence of of where you are in your career because you just look at the sheer competition of of back row back row players across the country. So to be to be high up on that list, it must be nice and reaffirming for yourself.
2: Yeah, no, it is class. I think Ireland have always produced. They've done a very good job producing back rows. Whatever it is about their genetics. Um, we seem to be good over the ball and, and good in this position and have been for the last while. So yeah, as you said, there's so much competition, uh, even within Leinster, you've got guys like James Galan coming through who's played some very good games, um, for Leinster this season. And we've seen what he can do with Ireland 20s in the past as well. So it's funny coming back from the world cup and then seeing someone like him, um, who's been playing very well week in, week out and kind of keeps you on your toes. And, um, drives the message that you really need to keep improving and keep performing week to week, or there's plenty of other guys there who are willing and capable to, to take the position. So um, no, yeah, like I said, it's, it's all exciting. And I, uh, I feel there's still plenty more growth in me as a player. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to ek out that potential.
0: Yeah. And then I, I suppose on the flip side, like just seeing the list of, of players who are their back row alternatives, obviously keeps you keeps you on your toes and cuts out any complacency. But on your own, own place in the Irish team, I was looking back at it earlier on, and you're on this remarkable run in the Irish team of since you missed out on that 2021 Six Nations. Ireland have played 29 games in that time. You've played in all 29 of those. 28 of those have been starts and just one appearance off the bench. There's kind of two sides of it to to look at i'll come on to the the competition and the you know the the back row competition in a couple of moments but first of all just the durability to do it like is there stuff you're doing week on week i know obviously you have to have a bit of a look where you're avoiding a proper injury that's going to rule you out for weeks or months at the time but are there other little bits that you're doing along the way week on week that are just keeping yourself ticking over making sure that minor minor little knocks aren't going to be affecting you the following week is that something you've kind of learned to develop over your I suppose six seven years now in in professional rugby
2: yeah well like you said there's definitely been a bit of good fortune there's certain injuries that are pretty hard to avoid and um, no matter what you're doing week to week it Sometimes you just do get unfortunate, but there's yeah, there's definitely things that you can do and that I've implemented and I've taken from some of the older, more experienced guys who look after their bodies very well. Um, Guys like Johnny or Cian Healy and Jamie Heaslip in the past who all would have invested a lot of time and money into um, maintaining their bodies and getting the most out of themselves. So yeah, we're looked after very well in terms of how many games we play a season too. So that helps, but little things like massage, physio, uh, stretching, yoga, all this sort of usual stuff. I and mean, then even from a psychological point of view, the whole mind-body connection is something that fascinates me. And um, I'm not sure how much of an impact that has had, but sort of staying on top of uh, my mental well-being and mental health as well might have some implications in terms of the durability too, potentially.
0: Is there stuff you do around that, the the mental side of the game week on week to, to just... Keep yourself fresh.
2: Yeah, well, you've got the sort of more um cliche things like visualization or the sort of more sports psychology elements, like goal setting, visualization, self-talk, um, mindfulness, things like that. But then I yeah, I've done therapy as well for the last number of years, but my parents are psychotherapists. So it was a bit of a natural um progression or natural interest of mine or something I wanted to do explore. Um so that's a weekly thing that I do as well, separate from the rugby, um, which probably does carry over a little bit because if you're happy you're gonna you're gonna play better, and if you've less things or less concerns, um, less things on your chest, there's a little bit of yeah, lightness going into the game. So um, yeah, I, I think that has helped me as well.
0: How helpful has it been, particularly after I suppose coming back off of disappointments rather than the the great days like a, grand, a Six Nations Grand Slam but where you're in a situation where you lose a Champions Cup final and then you're heading into a World Cup camp and obviously the World Cup ends in, in the disappointing way that it did and, and then you're into another season, like in terms of being able to to make sure there isn't a hangover from, from one tournament into the other and just being able to, to pick up where you left off
2: um, Yeah, it's definitely been useful in that regard, I think regardless of whether it's highs or lows it's kind of always trying to stay in place of equanimity to some degree and um stay grounded and um yeah keep keep sort of present and um stay working hard and whatnot so um no it's been good i've got good people around me and um i've sort of had some pretty open and honest conversations with those people around me which helps as well it's always vital to have a good support network and um people who have my best interest at heart and who I can fully interest in so I've got that too, which I'm very fortunate of
0: yeah, it must be a real a real help on the competition side of things then has the 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 position of back row or or of number eight even specifically changed much over the years where we're seeing a lot more players I suppose positionally there seems to be a lot more fluidity across the back row of you know you you go back and forth between. Between six and eight, you've played a couple of games at seven as well over over the last year or so, and even as a trend globally in rugby, we seem to be seeing a lot more second rows dropping in and, and playing at six. Monster doing it these days with with Tom O'Hearn. Is there is the the position and the the role of that player changing a little bit over the years?
2: Um, well, I think it's probably more so a case of the overall standard of skill skill set across forwards has improved pretty dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years I'd say um so you've got second rows in the past who are literally just there to scrum line out hit rucks, whereas now you're in second rows who are good footballers and capable of 20 yard passes or giving out out the back passes or offloading or whatever it is so I think the overall standard of skill sets definitely increased and um, there's probably with that comes particularly in the back row comes an expectation of Having a varied skill set and being able to do attack on both sides of the ball in terms of being, yeah, pretty competent in defense, in getting turnovers, in making your tackles, but also in attack and carrying and being a little bit of a ball player as well. So um yeah, I think having competition drives that and the way we train in Leinster and in Ireland drives that as well. Um and everyone is sort of has a plan around their work ons and where they want to improve on their strengths and maintaining those and improving those too. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think I'm not sure if the positions change too much, but I think the overall skill set amongst the forwards has improved.
0: Has there been an area of your own game over the last year or 18 months, maybe that you've honed in on a little bit more that you wanted to, to upskill in?
2: Um, not so much over the last eighteen months, but a more recent focus is sort of I've given my defense quite a bit of time and energy over the last while and um I've been pretty happy with that with how that's going bar conceding a few too many penalties for my liking. But um I yeah, I want to start getting my hands on the ball a bit more and offering myself around the park a little bit more and traditionally for me going back even to school and underage. My carrying was probably my best trait or best characteristic. So, um, yeah, I, I want to keep offering and keep getting my carry stats and times I get my hands on the ball up. Um, it's something I've kind of been conscious of, has faded away a small bit over the last while. So, yeah, I want to keep that area growing and get it back to where I think it can be.
0: Is that a is that a challenge where you you put a little bit of emphasis on one area of your game to develop and? potentially then forget about the things that that made you what you were to begin with. Is there a little bit of a balancing act to be done there?
2: Yeah, yeah. Can't struggle. Sometimes if you put too much energy into something, it gets taken away from somewhere else. So um yeah, trying to give them all equal time and energy um and, and get to a place where I'm competent and, and good across the board because I think the best players do have a pretty very skill set across them all. So that's something I'm striving towards.
0: I saw you speaking recently as well since the world cup about trying to maybe be a bit more vocal where we've obviously against and Ireland now Johnny Sexton has moved on and we all know how big of a leader he was and you're someone who's captain teams coming through the coming through the age grades is that I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you about you know captaining Ireland or something is but is stepping up as a leader or as a talker either in camp or out on the pitch is that something that you're kind of looking towards
2: yeah I think so it's it's sort of something my first few years in Leinster after captain Ireland I was sort of looking around me at all these lads who i had been watching since I was a young fella and feeling that there was so much experience and so much knowledge across them and sort of the feeling that oh they know much more than me I how could I offer any anything here when they've done this and done that and know so much more but I'm sort of getting to the stage now where I'm I'm 25 I've got 36 caps for Ireland I've been around the block a little bit and feel I've a fair bit of knowledge and experience myself to share so um yeah I'm sort of pushing myself to try and lead a little bit more and speak up a little bit more meetings if I do have something to say that could be beneficial to someone else whether it be someone younger or older so um yeah trying to trying to push that I do enjoy it it's sort of stretching the comfort zone a little bit for me but I do I do enjoy it when I do it as well so yeah it's definitely something I'm putting a little bit more focus on too
0: it's probably something we don't really um consider too much when we talk about younger players coming through because pretty much every 18, 19, 20-year-old coming through the academy system has by and large been one of, if not the best players on their teams going through at club level or schools level coming through. And all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're out on a pitch and there's 40 plus of you out there. And there could be, in Leinster's case, there could be 20 to 25 internationals out there. And all of a sudden you... You might feel a little bit small out there when you're an academy kid coming through and there's all these internationals around.
2: Yeah, definitely. I remember even just my first year in the academy having lunch beside like Jamie Eastlip and Keane Healy and these guys who I'd watched literally since I was in primary school. Um, so it well, it's kind of surreal and you're kind of pinching yourself a little bit at the fact of sharing your meals with them and eventually training with them and playing with them but you kind of, yeah, you do, you do adjust quite quickly and realize that they're just normal down to earth, hardworking people too. So, um, yeah, no, you adjust fairly quickly.
0: And when you came back then off the world cup, obviously you were gone for a long time. There was a big preseason. Did you notice there were some of those younger players who felt and looked a bit more comfortable in their own skin in the environment where they had three or four months where a lot of the more high profile players were away and that probably gives them an opportunity to, to learn their voice a little bit in the system.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think Leo and the coaches would push the younger guys to speak up and to not feel like they're not fully a part of the environment or that there's more important people or more knowledgeable people and kind of to spread the load across everyone and realise that we're all equal. Um So that that's coming from the top down a bit, but at the same time, it is helpful when some of the bigger names Guys, their way, and um, it is more of a shared load across everyone. So you become a little bit more comfortable even in the building and with some of those lancer players too. So um, now it's helpful. What
0: are the early impressions so far of of Jack He's
2: been great. He's been great. Very energetic, enthusiastic guy. Um, very passionate about defence and passionate about collisions and and uh, being physically dominant. And yeah, you've seen that with the teams. He's coached in the past, obviously South Africa most recently, and the success he's had there. Um, it's kind of been interesting to get an insight into the D system that he that he coaches, and sometimes looking at some of those teams, you you think it looks a little bit erratic, but there is method behind the madness, and um, yeah, no, it's something that we're all excited about, and it's a nice change for us, and it's even good having someone focusing purely on defense and someone focusing on attacking Andrew Goodman, so. It's nice having that split too, which is something that's new for us in Manchester. Obviously, sure, Lancaster did an unbelievable job doing both and managed them both very well. But it's nice having a few voices now this year.
0: And like he's obviously only been there a few weeks. Has he come in and just tried to make small adjustments so far with with the aim of, you know, by the start of next season, having made large changes? Or did he come in on day one and say, guys, okay, from today, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z?
2: More so the latter, yeah. He's kind of thrown us thrown us in the deep end a little bit and wants us to make a load of mistakes and wants us to find our own feet in this new system and build those new habits because we've been sort of... It's, it's basically a much more aggressive defensive system and bringing a lot more line speed, which takes a bit of getting used to. And sometimes in games, you kind of fall back to the habits you've built over the last while and what you're used to. So he's really pushing us to to get familiar with the new system and bring a little bit more line speed and stuff like that so yeah no it's exciting uh it's been it's been fun having him coaching us and he gets quite involved on the pitch um he's a pretty pretty passionate man
0: yeah the early signs are good and we had a few decent wins so far since he arrived particularly obviously the lara one um with that game no trophies handed out at the end of the day obviously but was that a significant win for ye? Just as a team, just to prove yourselves, you could do it, having come so close on a couple of occasions to to one specific team.
2: I think so. Yeah, I think we've had some pretty intense battles. Excuse me, uh, with them over the last number of years, and have come out in the wrong side a few too many times. So there is quite a rivalry that's been built there. And this game, being our first European one, being over in France. It, it was sort of earmarked from quite a while out, and there was excitement, um, in the week building up to it massively, and there was a bit of emotion given the last two years' finals and whatnot as well. So, um, there was great excitement going into the week and traveling over there, and, um, good belief as well that we could do it, and, um, hopefully it will sort of be a little bit of a springboard to our European season. Um, as you say, it's early stages and still a hell of a lot of work to be done and a lot of appro- improving needed too, but given the circumstances and the conditions over there and the manner of the game, being such a physically abrasive one and almost being better off without the ball at Sages. Um, yeah, to come away with that win was pleasing. And Kieran Froley's kick at the end was a nice moment as well.
0: Yeah, and you've had two pretty tough games now in the Champions Cup and coming through with two wins. Did you ever feel with hindsight, looking back on the last couple of seasons where... Leinster pretty much would have blitzed their way through the the pool stages. Was there ever an impression now that you look back on it that maybe things came a little bit too easy for you during the pool stages?
2: Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it's regardless of the opposition we're playing, we sort of focus on ourselves a fair bit and have our own standards to hit and our own potential that we want to reach. Um. Obviously, facing better teams and getting challenged in different ways is conducive to being successful and test you in different ways. So that is important too. So there's possibly an element of that. But at the same time, I think we face high quality teams throughout our season, both URC internationally as well. So we were tested a number of times and even playing Toulouse the week before in the semi was quite a test too. So And Leicester the week before that. So we were, we were facing some pretty some pretty good teams.
0: Yeah. And speaking of big games in the URC couple coming up in the next few weeks as well, we've got Munster and St. Stephen's day and, and Ulster then back at the RDS on, on new year's day. Have you any idea yet what your schedule is looking like? We obviously don't know what way the internationals go. Has there been a decision made on, are people going to be rested for a couple of games here or there, or do you expect to be at, at Thomond park next week?
2: I haven't heard yet. We've been off the last couple of days uh, since the sale game. So we're in tomorrow. So yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll get worried in the next few days. But um I haven't played there in the last number of years, going back to I think I played 2019 and 2020 possibly. And it's yeah, it's always a pretty good atmosphere and a special game to be involved in. Um lots of passionate Munster fans and a few Leinster traveling down as well. So um no, it's it's a good place to play and it's a little bit of a pity to takes a little bit away from your Christmas Day, but I think it's worth it, especially if you get the wind down there on Stephen's Day, so um, I'll be excited if I'm playing and if I'm not, I'll enjoy my Christmas a little bit more, but I'll be happy either way.
0: Yeah, finally then, what what are the Christmas plans or is it, is it dictated by whether or not you're playing on St. Stephen's Day?
2: Yeah, I'll be going back to Mayo um for Christmas Day anyway, but the length of time at home will be dictated by whether I'm playing or not, so yeah, hopefully, we'll get news in the next couple of days and I'll have a bit more of a plan, but I'll be touching base. My brother's back from LA on Thursday for six or seven days, so it would be nice to have the full family back together for the first time in a couple of years back home. Great stuff.
0: Well, look, as Josh Vander Fleer said to us at the weekend, regardless of whether or not you're playing on St. Stephen's Day, you can stuff your face anyway, because you're either going to be carb-loading or you don't have to worry about it. But um, yeah. either way, enjoy it, Caelan. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, have a great Christmas.
2: Cheers. Likewise. Happy Christmas to you. All the best.